going to do a little bit from the beginning of Exodus, which Tim has been doing with the youth, um, and I've really enjoyed it. So it's Exodus, um, it's about the midwives actually, which is in kind of towards the end of chapter one, but I'm going to read from verse eight. So it's Exodus one, verses eight to 21. Then a new king, who did not know about Joseph, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labour, and they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labour in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labour, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, When you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it is a boy, kill him, but if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrived. arrive. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. And although, you know, we've gone on to do a few other bits of stories in Exodus, this story about the midwives really stayed with me. And I've been thinking about, you know, why it's there and what it tells us about God and his intentions. And I really hope it speaks to you this morning as well. So the midwives were told by Pharaoh to kill the baby boys, suppress the Hebrew population, presumably because they thought the boys would then grow up to be men, join their neighbours and fight against the Egyptians. It says in verse 17, the midwives feared God. I think that means really that uh, not so much they feared him, but you know, they believed in him. They believed he existed uh, and that there were consequences to working against God. Actually, of course, for them, they received blessings rather than you know, bad consequences, because they did work with God. It says in verse 21, uh, God gave the midwives families of their own, you know, because they followed what God wanted and not what Pharaoh wanted. So the first thing I thought, you know, was why these midwives are included in the story at all. It's such a, a small little bit of the Bible, isn't it? You know, God's all powerful. He can do whatever he wants without the intervention of these two unimportant women. He made the earth. He flooded the earth. He sent all sorts of plagues on the earth. He can strike people dead. He can bring forth life. He can do whatever he wants without any reference to us. He doesn't need us to fulfill what he wants to do on the earth. You know, he's awesome and powerful, but God wants a relationship with us. If you go back and think back to Genesis in the Garden of Eden, you know, God made a promise to Adam and Eve, which he didn't need to do, that they could live in Eden and enjoy its fruits, all of it except one tree. 
And even though they were in like the best place on earth with the most freedom possible, still they blew it and they broke that agreement and they were banished from Eden. I've been looking at some commentaries of preparing for this and there's a chap called Martin Lloyd-Jones who you might have heard of and you might have heard this sort of quote from him and he was saying that we shouldn't really look at the Bible in terms of Old and New Testament but that we ought to think about it in terms of pre-fall and post-fall. Pre-fall being um, you know the life that Adam and Eve had walking in relationship with God and then everything after post-fall. And that everything after is the story of God's action, uh, his breaking into our lives and into history to make that relationship good again, just like it was in the Garden of Eden. You know, and the Bible is full of God stepping into our lives and into history, making a way back to him. And you can see things, and again, we've been doing this in youth before, of echoes of the cross, you know, in the way that uh, God rescues Noah from the flood and the way he uses Joseph, who was actually in prison, to rescue the Egyptians. The way he frees the Israelites from Moses and trains Joshua as a leader to lead his people out. And there's just so many. And of course, it culminates in that just outrageous thing of God coming onto the earth that he created and dying for our sins so that we could have that relationship that we that God always wanted for us. And so the midwives are an example of how God wants a relationship with us. He allows us to work alongside him, even though he doesn't need it, because he wants our relationship. And because he enables them to act in the little way that they did, that is recorded forever in history. They are famous and he's allowed that to happen. And that's our wonderful God, you know, that he includes us in his story in his plans. And not only is this a small story, it involves two really unimportant people. And I just was amazed to notice that we know their names. Shipra and Pua means beauty and splendor respectively. And it's really strange because we don't know the name of Pharaoh. And actually we don't know here the name of Moses's parents. I mean, we find it out later in the Bible and we can find it in history. But in this passage in the Bible, their names aren't important. They're not mentioned, but Shipra and Pua are, and that must be important. And theirs was the first action which saved the life of Moses, which enabled the Israelites to escape from Egypt. So it was a really important thing that they did. And it got me thinking, you know, when we act in obedience with God's will, just even small steps of obedience, that it has a big impact on our lives and on the lives around us. And the other thing it got me thinking was that God values the marginalized and those who have less power and influence. And that's a value of his that runs throughout the Bible. You know, we've got this Black Lives Matter thing at the moment. And it's about us sitting up and noticing those who have less power you know, those in the black population, Asian, ethnic minority. You know, but those, are, those groups are really important to God. And I think it's really significant at the moment. Tim and I were watching a film which some of you might have seen called Selma. It's um, about a peaceful march in Selma, Alabama, um, about uh, the people wanted voting rights. Well, they actually already had it in law. Um, voting rights for all people. But in the southern states of America, the, the local governments of that area thwarted 
the attempts of the black people to try to register to vote, they would come up with spurious, silly reasons why they couldn't vote. And so actually, although it was the law, black people in the southern states weren't actually allowed to vote. And it sort of tracked the, the marches, this, this peaceful demonstration that people were trying to do. And the decisions that the people made to go on that march meant that they were definitely going to be beaten and possibly going to be killed. But it was the right thing for them to do at that time. And it was really humbling, you know, when Tim and I were watching it. And there's so many other examples. I mean, there's a cliched example of Rosa Park. I say cliched because it's taught in all primary schools. Rosa Park, who in Montgomery, Alabama, um, refused to give up her seat, which was rightfully hers, and it was in a segregated area of the bus, but she still had to, was asked to give it up for a white person who'd got plenty of other places to sit. But because she refused to do that, it led to a civil rights movement against segregation in America. It was a small act of hers that actually led to something very significant in history. You know, not many of us are going to be called or will have the opportunity to do that, you know, like the midwives did as well in, um, in Exodus. But there is inequality in London and in the UK, and that is against God values of creating all beings equal. And I was thinking, okay, what can I do? Well, pray, obviously, is the biggie. Pray for political leaders, legal system, police, healthcare system, education, you know, and ourselves. And I think it's important that we educate ourselves. Well, some of us need to educate ourselves. I mean, George, George Floyd's murder was said to raise awareness of inequalities. But I mean, if you're black or Asian or ethnic, you don't need your awareness raising of inequality. It's something that you experience. It's more like slightly reducing the ignorance of people like me. I was and still am ignorant in these things, but I'm trying to change that. Pam mentioned um, a few weeks back, the BBC have done a series black history programs, which is a really good program. It looks at significant times in history but with black people's input into that and stories and 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 you know the things that we, that aren't told um, and gary has sent me a list of historical characters that i'm going to look into my daughter esther has been reading a book called why i'm not talking to white people about race anymore uh, and i've started reading that as well you know, it's actually why one of the reasons tim and i are really passionate about the church is that you know if i don't know something then I need people around me to help me. And I can't have people helping me if I'm not in relationship with them. And that's one of the things that the church does for us. And it's important that, you know, I need, and some of us need to increase our knowledge is because, you know, other people's experience needs to become part of our consciousness so that we have reference points that are cross-cultural, I suppose. You know, everybody knows about the World War II. Everybody knows that in a very long time ago, 1966, we won the World Cup. We need to have some other cultural references that aren't just white. Um, and the other thing we need to do is act in the sphere of influence that we have. Now, I'm a teacher, so I guess I've always thought that when I do my smart board presentations for each lesson, that I need to have lots of representations uh, of images and things. But I'm doing that even more consciously now. So last month I taught on ancient Egyptians. So I made sure that I had some up-to-date pictures of, of black archaeologists, you know, in lab coats and things like that. You know, and it's very small, but, you know, it's what I can do. 
I'm the history coordinator, so I'm writing to my deputy about improving, um, you know, black stories and ethnic stories in. Actually, I kind of got a bit rebuffed on that, but I think it was in the middle of the corona. So I'm going to go back and, and think of other ways to do that. You know, and you might manage people, you might recruit, you might educate. Pretty much all of us deal with the general public and we need to think about how we do that and how we do that that aligns ourselves with God values. I've started smiling at black teenagers who pass me. <laughs> you know, I think some sections of society are scared of them. And so I think, well, actually, how bad is it the teenage experience anyway without everybody thinking that they're scared of you? I'm speaking really tentatively here and I feel a bit awkward doing it, to be honest, because I'm on a journey. I'm aware that I have prejudices and I'm asking God to change me and help me change others, um, you know, in the minuscule ways that I can. I don't know what it's like to be black or an ethnic minority. I know what it is to be prejudiced against in the church quite a while ago now as a woman. Our youngest daughter knows what it's like to be prejudiced prejudiced against as a female engineer but it's nothing like being black and having racism day in day out but I just you know think it's important to to say to say things that are you know that, that, that God has on our hearts at the moment and that we align ourselves with the high value that God puts on the worth of all his creation especially those at the moment who have less power and then the final sort of thought I had about this passage was the idea that maybe the midwives didn't have a choice. And this kind of fits in actually with what Rob was bringing first thing. Some commentators um, think that what the midwives said about getting to the Hebrew women too late was true, that they didn't get, um, you know, that the, the Hebrew women were very vigorous and that they, were, they just gave birth without the midwives even being able to help them. But if that were true, then God would be rewarding the midwives who were being late. And as we were saying uh, right 